0: Amen. That song was written by Ron Hamilton. He wrote that song just after he learned he had cancer and eventually lost his eye because of it. And then he wrote the words, that song, Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. And what a lesson we can learn from that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gifts. We all love receiving gifts. Now I know some people say the older you get, gifts become less appealing. You know, gifts are for the young at heart. Well, I haven't reached that stage yet. I, I still love receiving gifts. Um, July 14th, next month, is my, my birthday. Uh, <laughs> in case you're wondering, uh, I, I gladly receive gifts. I have an office right over here. You can just leave them outside the door. Um, I do love gifts, I love receiving gifts, I love giving gifts, we love seeing the look on their face. Uh, I have a a little guy right now, he's almost 2 he it'll be two in August, and he's at that stage where it doesn't matter what you give him, he just, oh, he loves it. And even if he doesn't like it, if your reaction is positive, he'll feed off your positivity. And if he's crying, sometimes he wants a certain toy, but you forgot the toy at home. What do you do? You can't go home and get the toy. But you have another toy. He doesn't want that as bad as much, but you still get it and you go, oh, tight. What about this one? And he doesn't really want it. And he didn't want it before. But your reaction now, he looks and goes, oh, and he'll take it and he'll play with it. It doesn't always work, but sometimes it works. And it doesn't really matter the age that you are. Receiving gifts is, is nice. Sometimes we give gifts out of obligation. Maybe it's a Christmas office party, you know, and everyone has, a, has to bring a white elephant gift. And, okay, you know, you find something from your room. It's kind of an obligation uh, to give a gift. So maybe you get invited to a random per- kid's first birthday party. You don't know who the kid is. Uh, it's a distant cousin's twice-removed best friend, and you, you go to this first birthday party. What do you get at a one-year-old? He won't really remember anything anyway. Other times, uh, maybe you can give gifts as a peace offering. Maybe uh, you offend somebody, or you do something wrong. You slip in on a Saturday, and you missed your best friend's wedding, especially since you were the best man, and you missed the wedding. Uh, A gift might be wise as a peace offering. I'm sorry for missing your wedding. I I probably wouldn't have done a great speech anyway. And you offer up a a peace offering. Maybe your neighbors went on vacation and they asked you to wash their goldfish and you forgot to feed the goldfish. And they come back on vacation and the goldfish is floating upside down. So you offer a peace offering of some sort. So perhaps there's... An obligation uh, is one reason to give a gift or maybe a peace offering, but there are some gifts that are given out of love because you love that person, because you care for them. And there's different kinds of gifts you can receive. Some people say that gift cards aren't very personal. You know, all oh, you, if you forgot about my birthday party, so you swung by the store and grabbed a gift card and a card and gave it to me. I don't know who those people are, but my favorite gift is a gift card. Because I, I can use it for whatever I would like now. And July 14th, being next month, uh, <laughs> you didn't write that down. Uh, gift cards are fantastic. I enjoy them very much. No, but gift cards, uh, but there are some circumstances, perhaps, where maybe a gift card wouldn't work. Maybe if it's your, your, your wedding anniversary. And uh, here you go, $10 Subway gift card, honey. <laughs> we made it, five years, <laughs> all right. Okay, perhaps in that circumstance, you'd want something a little more uh, personal, maybe a little more something that maybe took some effort on your part. But no matter what kind of gift, no matter where it is, we all love receiving gifts or and even the older we get, we love giving gifts. We like the reactions. We like seeing the look on their face. And you could think back in your life of a great gift that you may have received. Now, chances are you're going to remember probably something from your childhood. There's probably not a major gift we can give you now that you would <gasps> be overwhelmed unless I give you a, you know, a $10,000 check. Then you'd probably appreciate that. But you know if I give you a, a cool knife with your name on it, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's nice. Thank you. And you'll put it up on your desk and you'll never use it. But the younger you are, the more you tend to appreciate, unless you were to somehow receive a gift from God. What gift do you think that would be? Gifts are fantastic things. And of course, for many of us, we're in a verse so familiar to us today, we probably didn't have to look at our Bible when we were asked to turn to it. We can just quote it from the top of our head. John 3.16. In fact, if you know the verse, if you don't know it, let's all read it together again. If you know it from heart, go ahead and join me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God has given us three free gifts. Now maybe you don't have to use the word free next to a gift, because a gift should be free. But there are three gifts that God has given us that far surpass anything you could ever receive here on earth. And the first gift that God has given us today from this verse, John three sixteen, He gave his love. In verse 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world. Our world today is craving for love. We want to be loved. Nobody wants to be alone and feel left out, feel lonely. Just why oftentimes when you reach your later teen years, your early 20s and, tw- and, tw- uh, and your 30s, and if oftentimes if you haven't found that significant person, that the person you are to marry, you start to feel maybe sometimes you feel lonely. You feel left out. You feel even though you may have a mom and dad who love you very much and you may have uh, friends who are there for you. And sometimes it's easy to live life and have lots of friends and still feel lonely. And that's a common thing to be given love from somebody is so precious to have a mom and dad that love you and would do anything for you. Not every kid has that. Some kids don't know their parents. Some kids lost their parents when they were young. To have a loving family, maybe it's still the majority, but it's still something precious that we tend to, we tend to miss. I love my family, as I'm sure we do here in this room as well. My parents are they're the most amazing people in this world. When I was about a year old, I was diagnosed with asthma, as I'm sure many of us probably have had the same or know somebody that has had asthma. And I don't remember the technical terms. That was a long time ago. But I had it pretty bad, whatever it was. Instead of the, oran- the, the blue inhaler, I used the orange one. So that, I guess that means I had it bad. I don't know. But mine was activity-induced. So when I would exercise, when I'd run, I would get an asthma attack. And when I was younger, I'd just say, tack, tack. I'm having an attack. And what that meant was I'm having trouble breathing. So we grab the inhaler, you know, we'd put it into the spacer, you, you, uh, you, uh, you push down the inhaler, goes into the spacer, and then as a kid, you breathe in the medication and uh, hopefully that helps your lungs. And after a few minutes, I'm breathing fine. But as soon as I had an attack, I couldn't, I couldn't play anymore. As you can imagine being one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, that's at the most active stage you could possibly be in. Could my mom stop me from running? Of course not. I was running around in circles all the time. I love sports. I'd play with my dad. And I would basically play sports until I had an attack. And then I would stop. That's how I would do it. Probably the reason my mom, uh, my mom was quite stressful with me growing up. I'm not sure. But I had it so bad that some, uh, most, most of the time, this little uh, inhaler didn't work for me. So I had to carry around this machine, is what I called it. I don't know, the, I don't know what the actual term is anymore. But uh, it was a machine, and I'm pretty sure it's smaller nowadays, but back then, I'm probably exaggerating, but when I was a kid, it seemed like it was like this big. And I had to carry it in my backpack everywhere I went, and sometimes when this inhaler wouldn't work, I'd have to pull out the machine and actually put up the mask, and I'd be out, out in the park, and all the kids are playing and I'd have to inhale this, uh, this stuff directly into my, my lungs, and then I'd be okay. But there was one time where, middle of the night, and this has never happened before, I wasn't exercising, I wasn't laughing, I was sleeping. And in the middle of the night, I started having an attack. So I uh, started to struggle to breathe. I walked out to the living room, my parents were on the couch, and I was signaling to them, you know, I'm having an attack, only for some reason I couldn't speak anymore. I, I was having trouble. So my, my parents, my mom already, she just skipped the inhaler, and she went right to the machine, we hooked me up to the machine, and the machine wasn't working this time. Wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. So we rushed me to the hospital and, uh, got to the hospital, and obviously, I, I'm okay. I turned out okay. So if you're worried about how the story ends, you know, I'm here right now. This is when I was sick, so, so don't worry too much. But it was, a long, it was a long process. I was in the hospital for several days as they had to hook me up to all these things. And then the, uh, the nurse accidentally overdosed me on the medication, and she, she actually poisoned me and made me stay in the hospital even longer than I was supposed to. So that's a story for another time. I'll let my mom tell that side of the story. Or maybe I won't, actually. It's probably best if she doesn't. But uh, I went through it all. And I was only six. I don't remember much. But I could, I could remember one thing through that process. And you know, my story is not nearly as bad as a story you probably have or have heard. But I remember one thing is by my side 24-7 was either my mom or my dad. My mom, sometimes she needed to slip away to actually sleep. My dad would work graveyard and he'd come off from work and he'd come straight to the hospital and he'd stay by my side so that my mom can go off and sleep. And 24-7, there was always my mom or my dad right next to me. And I have a, a, a strange fear of needles. I just can't do it. If you, I just ask my, ask my wife, I'm a complete baby when it comes to this. I can't even be in the room when Titus is, uh, I can't do it. And when it was happening, I remember on my bed starting to shake and my dad would hold my hand and say, I'm here for you, son. It's going to be okay. They hold my hand tight. And I remember I just look in my dad's eyes as they put the needle in and I would try to, you know, be brave and I would get through it. I was fine. I love my parents. And what makes it so easy to love my parents is because they love me. My parents hated me. They left me to die. They didn't care about me. I probably would grow up not liking my parents. But I, 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 how could I not love somebody who would do anything for me? And I know they would, even now. It's so easy to love somebody that loves you. But now imagine loving someone that hates you. I don't mean, yeah, 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 I like that person. I'm talking about real, true, genuinely loving somebody that genuinely hates you. Could you do that? Would you love your enemy? You know what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the people that love him. For God so loved his children. For God so loved uh, Christians. For God so loved, it says, the worlds. And there are many other verses I could point to you tonight that prove that God indeed loves everybody. He loves his family. Hey, I read this story not uh, just the other day, actually. After a long shift at a fire department on October second, 2006, 20-year-old firefighter and EMT, his name was Matt, on his way home from a long shift as a firefighter, he fell asleep while driving, swerved off to the road just enough to crash into another vehicle that was coming in his direction. In this car accident, this young man took the life of a a young mom who was pregnant and also had a 19-month-year-old sitting in the car. In that accident, the mom perished, lost the baby in the process. The 19-month-year-old survived the accident with actually minor scratches. Well, when news came back to the father, the father was the pastor of a church nearby. And you can imagine the story that took place when the doctors had to confront the pastor and tell him, just lost your young wife and your baby-to-be. To make a long story short, because of the court order and the, this man was getting tried for, uh, for murder in a sense, or it wasn't going to be that bad. But because of the court systems that worked out, the pastor was not allowed to confront or meet the firemen just for safety and for regulations. He was supposed to keep his distance, so he wasn't allowed to go over. And as you can imagine, for the next couple of weeks, couple of months, the pastor was just grieving. He was mourning. But after some time, the pastor wanted to meet this young man. He wanted to meet that 20-year-old firefighter. Well, two years after the accident had happened, the pastor was on his way to a grocery store, and he saw the young man get out of his car. God, divided, God just allowed this circumstance to happen, and he walked up, he walked up right to the man, and as soon as the young man looked and saw the father, he recognized who he was. But the pastor wasn't there to, to shred him, to rip his throat out, to, to be angry at him. The pastor walked up, and the young man just started weeping. And all the pastor could do was hold out his arms and just hold the, the young man that had killed his wife on accident. I let the men cry. And as the story goes, and you can even look the story up in the news, but it's interesting to see how this pastor would eventually come to forgive this young man. And to this day, they're they're best friends. They hang out. They go to places. They live in, in the same area. And the pastor did not give up on this young man. He began to share with him the love of Christ and show him that Yes, it was difficult for me at first, but I know you didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. And I I forgive you. And yes, I I miss my wife terribly. and, And every time I think about it, it hurts. But I know it wasn't on purpose. And I forgive you. I want you to move on. I want you to meet Christ. And this young man ended up coming to church and found Christ through the forgiveness of this pastor. And I tell you this story to say forgiveness works. But imagine if that pastor had saw that young man in the grocery store, had saw him and walked up to him, and the young man looked at the pastor and said, what do you want me to say? What if the young man treated the pastor like dirt? What if he said, you know what, I, 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 didn't, I don't even care. I, it wasn't even my fault. He tried pushing it off, and he, and he wasn't remorseful about anything, about accidentally killing his wife and his, his little boy. Well, well, how do you think the pastor would react to that? I don't know, to be honest. But God loves the people, even though God has done so much for them. He's offered his forgiveness. He's offered so much. There are still some people today who outright deny his existence, who don't care about who he is. And they have their reasons for it. And guess what? God loves them just as equally as he loves you and me. That's a love beyond our comprehending, above anything we could ever possibly understand. The first gift that God has given us is the gift of his love. But there's a second gift he gave us. He gave us his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. In John chapter 1 verse 29, the Bible says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. And saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish." He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Just read you the story in Leviticus where back in, in the Bible times when somebody would do something wrong, they would offer up a lamb, a male lamb without blemish, a perfect lamb. And that lamb would have to be laid on the altar and would be sacrificed for the sins of that person. Now, interestingly, that lamb had no idea what was going on. The lamb did nothing wrong. It was completely innocent, yet it had to die for the sin of that human. That doesn't seem fair. There's nothing right in that. Why should that lamb have to die? Maybe he should have to die for his own sin. That may make more sense. If a man was tried at a judgment and was condemned to death the judge wouldn't say, now you're condemned to death, but I'm going to choose somebody else from the audience to take your place for you. You can't do that. That's not fair. There's no justice than that. The man would get away and just continue living his life any way he wanted. Jesus, God's son, came to earth. We celebrate that day on Christmas. He came to earth. He was born in a manger. should have been born in a palace, but he wasn't. And he lived life Perfect. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. I could imagine having a sibling like that. The rivalry that would break out. The tension. Ah, he won again. I don't know if he was perfect in video, uh, video games back then. I don't think so. But whatever the case was, he he lived life. He never did anything wrong. When he was of the age of 30, Jesus began his ministry. He began to perform miracles. He began to teach. He began to preach, and he began to point people back to his Heavenly Father, to God, and saying, look to him. And he began, they became, he began to share with people the love that he had for them, and he began to show them that it was God who created this world. It was God who sent him to this earth for your sins, to forgive you. And mankind didn't quite understand it yet at that time, because when Christ became of the age of 33, just three years into his ministry, The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had enough of Jesus. They were frustrated. They did not believe that Jesus was actually God himself. They did not believe. They thought that the teachings he was teaching were false. They weren't real. So they began to devise plans on how they could destroy and literally kill Jesus. But they were having trouble doing that because he was actually perfect. He wasn't actually doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right. So they were having trouble. So the only way they can get this done is by... For one of his own to betray him, and you know you know the story. Judas Iscariot eventually betrayed his Lord, sold Jesus over to the Pharisees. And though Christ having done nothing wrong, they brought him, they tried him, wrongfully, and they began to scourge him, and beat him over and over again. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. Says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was acting as that lamb back in the Old Testament times. Jesus having done nothing wrong was an innocent lamb yet he was the one offered at that cross. He was killed. He was beaten. He was battered. Why? So that I could have my sins forgiven. Jesus, we nickname him, and and the Bible calls him the Lamb of God. He was that perfect, spotless Lamb. Even when Jesus was getting beaten, when he was getting tried, he continued to still profess his Heavenly Father as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Pilate, therefore, in John 19 took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it in his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no faults in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold, the man. Pilate said, look, I don't find anything wrong with him, but I, I beat him. I, I tortured him for you. We even put a, a robe and a crown. where We mocked him. Is this not good enough? But we know what the people cried. Crucify him. Crucify him. It wasn't good enough. They wanted to completely destroy his existence. His back being bloodied and battered, with the robe now dried up around his back, no doubt. As they ripped the robe off, the wounds reopened. And as they uh, put the cross on his back and made him carry it up the hill, couldn't even make it up, his body gave out. Simon, a young man, had to come and take the cross and finish the rest of the way. They say the beam could have weighed anywhere from 75 pounds and upwards carrying that up the hill, being weakened and bloodied and battered, we see why Christ, in his physical form, could not make it up the hill. He made it up the hill. They nailed him to the cross. They set him down on the cross. And for three hours, he held himself being nailed. Every time you'd take a breath, you'd have to lean against the nails in your body just to to take a breath. And for three hours, in agonizing pain, Christ, at the, at the very end, finally said those last three words. It is finished. Mm. It was there that he chose to die. He gave up the ghosts. Why do you think Jesus did that? Why did he do that? Jesus wasn't just dying for the people who were weeping and crying for him. Jesus was dying for the soldier that was nailing him to the cross. He was, he was giving his life for the soldier that was whipping him, though he was tied to a pole. He was dying for Pilate, who did the actual accusation, who actually allowed him to die in the first place. Jesus wasn't just dying for those that loved him. He was dying for the whole world. He did that because he loves you. He cares for you. Jesus was buried in a cave, a tomb, It was owned by someone named Joseph of Arimathea. After they buried him, a huge stone was placed across the tomb to cover the mouth so that nobody could get in and steal his body and say that he had risen again. And just to make sure that didn't happen, they placed Roman soldiers around just to make sure that he could stay in there and everything would be safe and fine. The devil thought he had won, perhaps. The devil thought it was over. Wow, I can't believe I stopped it. The devil perhaps thought the victory had been won. But did Jesus stay in that tomb? Nope. Death cannot hold him. Jesus conquered the grave. He conquered death itself. And Jesus, three days later, arose from the dead. It's one thing to raise somebody else from the dead. Not that that's even, not, you know, that's an easy thing, right? It's easy to raise someone else from the dead. It's not, it, they say it's, it's happened to doctors, you know, where somebody was considered clinically dead, their heart wasn't beating anymore and they were able to revive them back from the dead, but three days, three days with no heartbeat, a doctor didn't walk in there and try to bring them back. Jesus just said, I'm coming back. Jesus said, I'm going to start my own heartbeat. Jesus said, I am beyond death. I am beyond anything that humanity can understand. Jesus rose himself from the dead. If, if there is the, ever the most difficult miracle to perform, I, I would point to that one right there. Raising yourself from the dead. Just try to process that. But that's exactly what he did. He rose up. He was seen of the disciples and 500 people as eyewitnesses as he ascended up into heaven someday. And that's where he's there now, waiting someday to bring us back home to heaven with him. To which we come to our final gift tonight, this morning. Jesus has given us his love. God has given us his son. But lastly, Jesus gave us eternal life. Eternal life. Death scares people. We don't want to die. Especially if we're we're young and we we have a family. Or even if we're older, we still have a a family. We still have things we want to get done. Nobody wants to die. It's not something we, we think about often. something we try to even avoid. But you know, physically on earth, we will all perish. Unless God comes back before we die. Other than that, statistics show that one out of every one person will eventually die. But in John chapter 3 and verse 14, if you go back a couple of verses, John chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God didn't just offer eternal life to the few, but He's offered it to everyone. Everybody in this world has a chance of having this eternal life with God forever someday. In Romans chapter ten and verse nine, the Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth shall be saved. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that some should come to repentance. No, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody in this world to get saved. And that's the term that we use. When you accept Christ as your savior, when you give your life to him, we call that getting saved. When you get yourself saved from your sins, from your past life, and you turn to Christ and you give your life to him. God wants moms and dads, brothers and sisters, friends, uncles, aunts, grandmas, grandpas, policemen, lawyers, architects, doctors, teachers, circus clowns, construction workers, auto mechanics, gamblers, rock stars, serial killers, rapists, murderers, terrorists. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God has given us this gift of eternal life, and it's not just being offered to everyone but it's being offered for all eternity. Eternal life. Living forever with God. Now I should say this. Everybody within them has a soul. And your soul is going to live on forever somewhere. If you were to die right now, you would either be, your soul would either end up in two places for all of eternity. They would either end up in the presence of God in heaven, or would either end up in hell for all of eternity. And naturally speaking, hell is a negative place. It's a place of fire and brimstone. It's a, a terrible place. And we uh, perhaps we're familiar with hell and what it means. And I don't think I need to, especially emphasize just the terrors and evils of hell tonight. But to spend eternity with God forever, there's nothing greater. First John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know for sure tonight where your eternal destiny will be. You don't have to guess. You don't have to hope and wonder. Well, I don't think I did enough good yet. I need to do more good than bad. Then maybe when I die, God will say, well, yeah, we'll let you come in. All right, you did okay. You did good enough. It doesn't work like that. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are, you will never be good enough to get to heaven on your own. There is only one way to heaven, and that John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You cannot take Jesus out of the equation. You cannot do good enough to get to God by yourself. You have to come to a point where you realize I can't do anything on my own. There is nothing good within me. Sin has stopped us from entering into heaven. Sin is is hindering our relationship with God. It is sin. It is our wickedness. It is our sin that has stopped us from having that eternal life with God forever someday. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. And this is life eternal, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. The Bible says that we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine hearts that God hath raised Him from the dead. You want to live with ever? You want to live forever with God someday? First thing you have to do is realize your sin. Realize that you can't get to heaven on your own. There's an important word we use in the Bible and it's called repentance. And it's this concept of asking God and confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus saying, Lord, I am sorry for the sins that I have done. Lord, please forgive me of the life that I live. Forgive me of what I've done. Now, this doesn't mean you're never going to not sin again. You're still not going to be perfect, but you're giving your life, and you're saying, Lord, I, I, I realize who you are, that you are indeed God himself. God, forgive me of my sins, and I put my faith and trust in you. It almost sounds too simple, really. And perhaps maybe you're in this room tonight, and you've said, Oh, yeah, I've prayed before. I've, uh, I, I pray all the time. You can pray all you want and still not end up in heaven. Praying is speaking to God. And how we pray and who we pray to is what's important. If you've never in your life looked up to heaven and said, God, I know what I am. I know what I've done. Forgive me of my sins, O God. And I believe that you are Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are God himself come into my life and save me. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. If you sin the next day, it doesn't mean you lost it all and now God doesn't talk to you anymore. No, it just means you just say, Lord, I'm sorry what I did. Forgive me. But you're still his child. You see, if your child messes up, you don't disown them and you scratch their last name out and say, you're done with me. No, you work with it. You work with your child. And eventually you get your child to say, I'm sorry for what you did. But he's still your son. He's still your daughter. He's always going to be your child. And that's what happens. The day you accept Christ as your Savior, you are now a part of his family, his kingdom. And it doesn't really matter what you do. Although what you do should be based on your love for God. But God will always love you. Now, just because you get saved doesn't mean that you can live life any way you want. It's a sermon for another time. But I'd like to end with a story here. The story I heard from a preacher down in the States. He told this story where one day he was, one Sunday afternoon in particular, he had just finished preaching. And he was shaking hands with some of the church members after the church service that morning. And uh, one of the members came up to him and said, "Uh, Preacher, would you like to come over to my house after church is done and have lunch with us? We live on a farm just outside of the city, and the preacher said, "Yeah, sounds great. Sounds. Good. I have no plans." So that's exactly what happened. After church, they went over to this large farmhouse, this large, and they had a barns and beautiful house and lots of acres and land. And as they came out, they went into the house and they had a great time eating and fellowship and talking about the Lord. And after church was, after the, their food, their eating was done, they came outside. And the farmer said, I want to show you my dogs. And I don't remember what kind of dogs they were. All I remember is in the story, these dogs were uh, worth thousands and thousands of dollars. They were very expensive dogs. They were hard to get. They were specifically bred. And they were highly uh, intelligent dogs. And if you're a dog person here, you can tell me what they were later. But all I know is the farmer wanted to kind of show off his dogs. And he was doing all these cool tricks with them and uh, frisbees and. Uh, these commands, the dog was just obeying every command, and it was pretty amazing. According to um, the pastor, he was pretty amazed at how these dogs, how they would listen and learn, how fast and powerful they were. They were pretty amazing. Well, the owner uh, wanted to show off how fast one of the dogs was, so he chose the name of one dog, and he grabbed his favorite ball, and he said, watch this. And he, uh, big strong farmer, you know, he got out and he got a big throw and he just hurled it as far, far as he could all the way down the field. And they told the dog, wait, wait, and he waited for the ball to stop rolling. And he said, one, two, three, go! And the dog whew, took off as fast as he could. Wow, everyone was amazed, you know, the dog just whew, took off after that ball. And as it got closer and closer to the ball, they're all kind of watching from the distance. The dog was running and running and all of a sudden the dog disappeared well that's weird <laughs> i thought the rapture was for humans i don't understand <laughs> the, the dog disappeared and they kind of stood, stood there stunned and well he realized that he had thrown the ball near the end of his near the end of his the fence area but it was still kind of inside, so he didn't know what was going on. So they all started to run towards the dog. And this is an expensive dog. This isn't just any dog. They were running, and as they got closer and closer, they could hear the dog yelping for help. As they got closer, there was a large manhole that, had, that construction workers had been working on right, right up against the fence near their land, And it had gone into his property, and that's a story for another time as well. But in the, in the case of all this, there was some, some kind of a sewage problem on that street. And there was a big, large, it, it, was a, it was a sewage septic tank of human waste. And the dog had ran full fledged right into that human waste and was bobbing around trying to get out. A tank of human waste. I don't think I need to describe to you. If you're, if you're a parent you have a young child, just changing the diaper is good enough. <laughs> I've done it a few times, luckily. Anyway, the dog fell inside. It was swimming around in the human waste. Now, the farmer was a a strong farmer. He was a strong man, but apparently he had a bad leg. He he had a a bad hip, so he couldn't run. He couldn't really do anything with his lower half. He was strong with his upper half, but this tank was quite large, and the dog was starting to, I mean, there's no way for this dog to get out. And of course, you can't stay in that state for very long before you start getting very sick. Just the smell alone is putrefying. The farmer couldn't get in. The farmer looked at his son. He said, son, I need you to go in there and get that dog. You don't have to, son, but I don't want the preacher to have to do it. (laughs) Can you do it, son? And according to the story, the son said, I'll do it, dad. He was hesitant. He didn't want to, of course. He tried to find another way around, but there was nothing around. The dog was already starting to swallow it, starting to choke on it. So the son, just with what he was wearing, jumped inside the tank, swimming in the human waste, and helped push, uh, lift the dog out. And they were able to pull that son out of that human waste, that septic tank. That's exactly what Christ did for us, only much worse. Christ climbed that sewage tank of sin. We're talking about God himself. He left perfect heaven to come to earth, to live here on earth, a place that we would agree is not perfect. We can't wait to go to heaven someday. But God came down from heaven, and he jumped in that that tank of sin, and he pulled us out. You know what's interesting is God has given us this free gift, and his hand is reached out to you. And many of us would choose to rather just stay and swim in that tank. We'd say, it. No, God, it's okay. It's actually not that bad. I get, I get used to the smell, Lord. Uh, it's, it's fine. I think, I think I'll be okay by myself. I'll try to get out by myself later. God has reached his hand out in love to us today, and the choice is yours. Will you reach out and grab Christ? Will you let him pull you out? You can't do it by yourself. But if you'll give your life to Christ, as we go to the invitation time in just a second, as I pray, I'm going to ask if you would be willing to, if you have not accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to challenge you to do that this morning. I'm going to challenge you to come forward, kneel, or if you're too embarrassed to do that, you could do it in your seat. And you can ask God, forgive me of my sins, O oh Lord. Come into my life to save me. You could stand as we close our morning service now in prayer. The message was directed towards those who have not accepted Christ as their savior, but perhaps there's somebody in this room today who knows for sure that when they die, they're going to heaven. They know that for sure, but you know you haven't been living the way you should. You've forgotten all that God has done for you. You've forgotten His love and His mercy and His grace. You forgot that God jumped in that pit sin and pulled you out, maybe it's time for you to get your life right and say, Lord, I'm sorry. God, I want to do better. But with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to pray for everybody in this room. Then I'm going to ask ask you a question.